Happy Hump Day! All right, welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Happy Wednesday to you guys. I hope wherever you are and whoever you might be, that you are listening to this. I hope your life uh, is, like the theme last week, restful. I hope that you are experiencing a good working week for the most of us. And as for most of us, we are halfway through the working week. It can be a good feeling on a Wednesday to hopefully have a good episode to listen to. Uh, thank you for bearing with me on this off schedule that we're on. Um, some of my guests I've had to push back. So just trying to do something different here on these Wednesdays. Just share something, just quick thoughts again uh, with you all. And also just experimenting, maybe trying some new things. And uh, with that, I do want to give a shout out and a big thank you to Annette from the That's What I Thought podcast. Her alongside her husband, Micah, they host a podcast that just is for genuine uh, conversation about life, and it's two people who love Jesus and who are a wonderfully in love couple who are committed to each other and committed to Jesus. So that particular space, that medium, what they're providing, I think is so incredibly important. And the reason why I bring them up is to not just go uh, like and subscribe to them, which, by the way, they have an amazing Facebook page. They're hosted over at anchor.fm, and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Mind you, just like this one right here. Again, we shall not sleep. But Annette texted me last Thursday, so this would be six days ago, and she just gave me the text messages to end all text messages. She she messaged me and asked me so many questions. How are you doing? How's the podcast going? Um, you, you were on vacation. I saw the picture with your dad for Father's Day. That was so cool. Like, oh my gosh, just touching your heart. Like, very, very kind. So I hope I am embarrassing you, Annette, because that's my goal here, um, is acknowledging that very, very Christ-like, um, you know, compassion, empathy, and just care. Thank you so much for that. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I promise uh, we're going to do some more collaborations here in the future. I promise you that. So uh, one thing that I, I've been thinking about, and this might be more scatterbrained for, for this show tonight, but there's a couple things. I want to talk about, just briefly, the least of these, and I also want to talk about um, this notion of salt and what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, just after the Beatitudes. But first, you know, it, this is something that, again, I, I don't know, I'm working through myself, but... When I look at the least of these, when when the book of James, you know, it, it's fascinating that you know that's one of my favorite books. It's one of a lot of people's favorite books of the New Testament. But when you look at the book of James at the ending of verse one, or excuse me, chapter one, um, immediately after that, immediately after the whole listening and doing, it says, you know, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this: everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He later goes on in verse 22, says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who claims to do the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Just forget it. You just toss it off. And we, we do this all the time. I know I am just as guilty. We read our Bibles. We know what they say. But yet, at the same time, we, we just, you know, we understand what it says. We understand why it says it. But you know, I don't really feel like it. Or, hey, my life's really busy. I can't, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot. Or, oh, don't you know how, how hectic my schedule has been? Or how tired I am, Jesus? And it, it's so interesting that after this entire thing, I, I love sometimes the passages in Scripture that just summarize everything. It makes it really easy. 
for those people, you know, who are spark note people. They really appreciate that. And the end of chapter one, 26, think about, think about this for a second. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. So we have a couple things here, listening and doing. We're listening to what the word says and then we're doing accordingly. And all of these things about, you know, I'm going to look at a mirror and I go away. You're being two-faced. You're, you're being hypocritical. You're putting on a mask. And it's like, oh, by the way, what you say has power. And then finally, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Whoa. So there's not like this secret knowledge. There's nothing Gnostic or, or this idea that this knowledge is secretive, is something to be pursued, but it's hard to get. It, there's, there's not the secret teachings of Jesus. There's no divine mystery. It's, it's hard. The Father's will can be very difficult to discern for yourself because it's a lifelong pursuit. However, when it comes to the commands of Scripture, they're not hidden. You don't need to be a part of a secret society. You don't have to speak Greek in order to understand it, right? Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows. First part, look after orphans and widows. And that's something I find, I don't know, I, I find myself really starting to question the, I don't know, the viability of a lot of the options we have for the elderly and for our, our children. And this is not an indictment on the system. I'm not trying to tear down the system. I'm not even suggesting what we do is wrong. I just want to ask a few questions that I've been asking myself. Maybe, maybe I'm not alone here. I'm not sure. But one of the things that I, I think about, especially with the elderly, uh, my church, and sorry, church, uh, if you're listening to this, or I, I guess to be a little more correct, the church that I have the privilege of pastoring, majority of my congregation is older. And what I see in, in that church is I have widows taking care of widows. I have widows who have their elderly mothers. I mean, we have 70-year-olds taking care of almost 100-year-olds in my congregation, and it's daughter taking care of mother. They're both widows. And as a church, you know, as us men, being able to help those women is important. Now, this doesn't devalue the roles of gender. I'm not getting into that political and social, economic and, and social construct argumentation. No, I'm not even, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that, obviously, um, us men who... Uh, like to do things. Uh, there are women out there who wouldn't mind having us do a few things. So there are ways for us to still help and be involved, even for those who are in retirement or for those young whippersnappers like myself who have the energy and time in order to do stuff. It just takes sacrifice. Well, when you when you see those needs, I'm reminded I have those needs in my family. Who am I to neglect those? And I don't know the way our whole society is is. I don't know, constructed um, the way that it, it's run at the moment. One of the things that I find very saddening is the church's willingness to accept the status quo of the elderly. It's almost as if once they are a burden on us, we stash them away. I mean, look what we did with the mentally ill or the uh, mentally challenged, you know, in the 40s and 50s, mental institutions with lobotomies. I mean, how terrible 
I mean, what, what do you think Judgment Day is going to be like for those people and the people that stood by and watched the injustice transpire? And when I look at the people who are misunderstood or those who were just inconvenient, like I can't take care of my parents or I have an aging brother or family member who's mentally challenged and needs help, so we're just going to put them away. I don't, I, this is not an indictment on that. I'm not saying I would do anything different because our society is set up very well to support that. What happens oftentimes, much like when I was talking about reclaiming the Sabbath day, is that we send them away and then we aren't there. And if you look over the last year and a half, what's happened with those elderly in nursing homes, um, it's, it differs from state to state, but we were prevented from seeing them. And I firsthand have seen the devastating effects of not having that human-to-human contact. It's it's a it's an emotional and spiritual death sentence, and it is hard to look at the way things are and how estranged families have been during this last eighteen months, and for me not to think, I wonder if there's a different way that the church could be involved. I'm not saying that a church becomes a professional institution and then houses the least of these. And I'm not saying that, but we, but we do see demonstrations of that, maybe not on a full-time basis, but you see the volunteers there. So I don't know. I don't know, you know, I, 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 cause I see the reason why I bring this up is because I see so many people in my life, in my, well, in my life that do demonstrate that sacrifice. I can't say their name, but one per, gentleman in particular was, adding on to his house so he could take care of his father, his aging father, that I will take that financial burden and that physical burden and we will build because you are going to be here. Now, he has the means to do that. Not everybody has the means. But I'm wondering if, kind of like Acts chapter 2, no one was without need. What if it wasn't a financial issue because the church was able with resources and willing and able to take care of the least of these. I mean, this is not even bringing about children and maybe the, the greater role that homeschooling has to play and, and being able to keep your family together as one frontier, as one family unit on maybe one plot of land. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you need to become Amish or anything. I'm just, I'm just starting to wonder if allowing the government to uh, dictate what our children learn in school, whether it's good or bad, I'm not talking about the efficacies of what they teach. I'm not even getting into that. I'm saying that when you hand your kids over for six, seven hours a day, even if they're getting a good education, those are six and seven precious hours that kid, that parents don't have. And I'm not even saying they have a choice. Not everyone has the ability to homeschool. If you want, again, you want a perspective on this, you can go back uh, to to my, my first uh, few episodes. Uh, one of the best and actually still most popular to this day was uh, Roman numeral three with Jessica Perry, um, Helen Hill, and Miriam Jinn. And uh, they were three moms who all homeschool. And they acknowledge the fact that they don't have, they, I mean, they, they have the ability, but they understand that other people don't have that ability. And I guess for me is saying that what, what are we as parents, what are we doing you know, as, I guess, fully functioning adults that have income, that, ha- that are the decision makers, right? Those type of adults that, that have people in their lives that they will eventually be responsible for, 
uh, in that their parents are going to get to those golden years or they're having children or not yet children, what, what are we setting ourselves up for? Because, you know, I don't know anyone who willingly wants to go to a nursing home, for example. I, I, I know the acceptance part, but would you like rather be with your family? Assuming your family's on good terms, would you rather be with your family than be with people whom you can develop great friendships with, who can develop um, amazing relationships uh, beyond just the friendship part? I get that. I totally do. I'm just wondering if we're in the same boat, would we want that? Or would we, if we love or care for our family, would we want to be with them? And and a lot of people, they're sensitive. They don't want to be a burden, right? So it's, they don't want to have to, you know, be, I would say, humiliated by having to, to be toileted and, and showered and stuff, you know, eventually. Like, I get that. But here here's the thing. We are here because of them. We were helpless. We were the least of these. And they took care of us and they raised us. Is it not incumbent upon us to repay that? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the answer is. I just know our society is set up in such a way that it's so easy to alleviate the burden and not have to deal with it because we've talked about reclaiming the Sabbath and how busy you are. Look, at, look what your schedule is like Monday through Saturday. If you have kids, if your parents out there are listening to this, I mean, if your kids are in sports and school, then you're working because um, unless you're one of the few who earn enough income by yourself or you, you have the ability to have a stay-at-home parent, like that's just not what normal people are going through, right? So when do you have time to go visit your loved one every day, whereas you would be around them every day? So I don't know. I don't, I, listen, I say this and I get, I, you're going to get tired of me saying maybe sorry or I don't know. I am not trying to change the status quo. I'm not even saying that the status quo is wrong. I am just personally starting to wonder if the church, again, the overall church could play a greater role in these dilemmas, in these things. And if there was help, if there wasn't a matter of financing or time because there was people wouldn't that make it a much easier decision? I think it would. And in the same way, those who suffer from mental uh, illnesses, de degenerative illnesses, you know, I am not, I, I can't say this because I don't know, but you'd like to think that one of the last things that God would want sometimes is for people to be medicated into oblivion and then sent away and then never be interacted with. Or, well, you're different, so therefore you must have something wrong. So let's take this drug. And I'm not. I'm not talking about big pharma. I'm not talking about a conspiracy theory. I'm just thinking: Do we stop and pray about those decisions? Certain people, absolutely, they do. I'm just wondering because it's such a thing that you well, you find you're a little bit different, or you take medication and you do this, or if you really need severe help, you go over here and then they take care of you instead of the parents, instead of mom and dad. I don't know. I don't know. And we're not even talking about demon possession either. It's not like demons have gone away and we don't even talk about the fact that, you know, what's the what's the quote Kevin Spacey gave in seven? It goes, the greatest trick the devil ever ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. And in our society, angels, demons don't really exist. I mean, we, we rather talk about Jesus Christ and God than we talk about demons. Talk about Satan, which is clearly in our Bibles. 
and people were clearly possessed and, and had phenomenal acts of strength, very, very scary things, and multiple demons, multiple um, you know, personalities emerging. It's like, doesn't that sound somewhat? I mean, don't, don't some of the stories of demon-possessed people sound like some of the mental deficiencies we see today? I, I don't know. I don't know that, but sometimes I, I just wonder if there's a different way of taking care of those least of these people. And if our motive is to do what James says here, then we can find that it's pure. We can come to an answer. We might come to the same conclusion. I'm just wanting us to check our hearts because this is something that God's been really hammering home with me. Because Jesus went. He was there. He did not turn people away. He asked people to be brought to him. And he went to people as well. He did not send them away. He did not turn his hands, his ministry, his love, his head, eyes away from these people. And that segues to my final point here that I want to make, which is in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to roll along with me here, it's just after the Beatitudes. And this is, this is not my point. Um, this is from one of my favorite speakers, Michael Ramsden. Uh, he was uh, formerly a part of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries before that all that stuff happened last year. Or I think he might still, actually he might be the president. I'm not entirely sure what his current standing is. But as far as I know, not involved in any of that um, directly. But one of my favorite speakers. And he said in a recent uh, sermon I listened to, he was talking about evangelism and how we connect with those people, um, are able to reach children, reach the least of these, but just even our own co-workers. And verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5 starts out as this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Which is amazing. The ending part speaks to motive. It's not for us, it's to glorify Father in heaven. Amen? Well, Michael, not me, but the other Michael, he had... An amazing point about salt, you know, salt adding, you know, flavor and preservatives, you know, to meat, a lot of things, especially back in the Middle East at that time, salt was key to cooking and preserving food, that it doesn't matter how close the salt is to the product. It has no effect unless it touches it, unless it's in it. It can be within a millimeter and it'll do no good. In the same way, if we are okay with going 99% there, but don't ask me for personal sacrifice, don't ask me to go outside my comfort zone, then may I suggest to you we are truly missing the purpose of evangelism and the gospel. And that's with helping the least of these or it's with your coworkers. Now, I'm not, I don't know what that looks like for you or for me necessarily, especially for me, I'm still, that is, or excuse me, I, well, especially for the both of us, both of us, I am, I am, I'm just as lost as other people when it comes to what this, this will is for my life, this pursuit, because uh, it's, it's hard. It's an arduous journey to heaven. Uh, and God doesn't always give you all the answers when you want them. So it can be 
difficult. It can be trying. So I don't know how God has gifted you. I don't know in what ministry setting you are in, but I promise you, if you're a living, breathing Christian, you are in ministry. You have the charge, just as the rest of us do, of spreading the gospel um, of Jesus Christ, which brings hope and truth to all the world. And it is not about us. I could be wrong with every single thing I've even brought up tonight. And that's okay, because in the end, I'm not that important. God doesn't need me to fulfill his mission. That's simple. And I think as humans, we oftentimes think we are so important. It's, that it's hubris. Hubris to think that. The elevation of self over God. And I guess what I want to get down to tonight is our motive. What is our motive? Who is at the center of our lives? And when it comes to dealing with the least of these or when it comes to you know, helping uh, in church, being at church uh, with our time and what we're studying, what we're devoted to, it comes back to what's our motive. So that's what I want to talk about uh, tonight. Thank, thank you very much for, for bearing with me. It's a little scattered, but these are just some honest thoughts that I just, I had to talk, I had to hit record tonight and tell you about this because I, I hope I'm not alone. I hope I, I see something that the church, you know, can do. I mean, it's ripe for it. There is a harvest right there for it. The least of these are not going anywhere. And for the church to be even more countercultural, here's how we do things. We don't follow the ways of the world here. We do it this way. What a testimony that would be. Not just be, not because we're different, but it's look at what it's about. Doing exactly what James said. Thank you guys for bearing with me. I love you. You can find me wherever you find podcasts you know by now. Thank you for listening to We Shall Not Sleep. May God bless you. And as always, may God keep you.